one way to stand on the floor. Stand on the Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Isaiah 53, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet, he, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Let's pray together. God, We thank you for the birth and the life of your son, Jesus, that his life was given as a ransom for many. Jesus, we praise you for being our sinless offering and for releasing us from the bondage of sin. We honor you as the one whose punishment brought us peace and his wounds have healed us. Father, we pray that your son will be glorified this morning. Fill this place with your glory and enter into each one of our hearts so that we can honor you and praise you and worship you from the depth of our heart because you are worthy. Praise be to you. Amen. Good morning, family. Those words that Lindsay just spoke about the Lord's holiness and his holding, those just feel so right to me. Um, even as I've been in this text and preparing to bring this word from God, I feel um, such a tension, a good tension between just being on holy and reverent ground before the Lord of, of all the earth as he is nailed to a cross for our sake. And it just never gets old to look at God on a cross for his creation, for those of us that he's made and whom he loves. And yet, um, as holy and reverent and sobering as that is, I also just feel such deep joy. This is a message of joy, full of joy. And so the Lord will... What, what he what he does and what he brings to us through his death is joyful. 
And so the Lord will hold that tension together as we read this word. And I'm going to read um, both our scripture passage from Luke, and then we're going to read together question and answer one from the Heidelberg Catechism, and that will be on the PowerPoint behind me. I'll read the question and we'll read the answer together. So again, we're picking up in the middle of the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And last week we ended with the, the words of Jesus to the thief beside him who had just reached out to Jesus. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. In this garden of delight, you'll be with me. Not because of anything you've done, but because of who I am. And then this we read next. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment, the word of God. Again, I'll read the question and let's all read the answer together. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own? but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life 
and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Thanks. If you want to maybe just flip back to the sermon slide. Um, This sermon, friends, will be a little bit different than last week's. I just want to tell you that from the beginning last week's, when we looked at um, Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, and we heard a message about incredible forgiveness. I didn't teach a whole lot. You learned. But primarily, we experienced. We had the cross in the center, and we looked at Jesus' interaction with everyone around him, and we asked, what would it have been like to have been there and heard Jesus speak these words? That was really designed for us to experience forgiveness, because before you think about it, it's something to be received. And the Lord wanted to, us to receive it afresh. This morning, I'm going to be doing a little bit more teaching, and I want to tell you the entire sermon is going to be application from the very beginning. And it's going to attempt to answer this question. What difference does what you just read from Luke about Jesus' death, what difference does that make for your life when you wake up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when you wake up? And I hope that every person can walk out of here after today and say three things with me, three differences that it makes. And I'm not going to say them right off the start because uh, I want to say one thing first, and that is that Jesus' death and these differences that we're going to talk about, uh, they are for those of us who are in Christ or who have faith in Christ or who are following him. The Bible's teaching is that when we place our faith in Jesus, we get united to him. We become one, one with him. Now, you don't always walk around feeling like I'm one with Jesus. But what you feel like isn't the first determiner for truth. Listen to these three scripture passages. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. John 14, Jesus says, Anybody who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them or in them. Verse 20, Jesus says, On that day you'll realize I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you. Colossians 1, 27, Paul's writing to the church about the glorious mystery of this good news, the gospel, and he says, he writes, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then to the Corinthians, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit. One spirit with him. So we're going to talk about spirit today because in the text Jesus breathes out his spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But what you've got to hear from the beginning is when you as a believer give your yes to God's offer of forgiveness and new life, when you say, I place my faith in Jesus, Jesus comes and unites himself to you personally, fully, and eternally. Personally, fully and eternally. And that doesn't change. I'm one with the Lord. So for those of us who are one with the Lord, when we wake up tomorrow morning, what difference does Jesus' death make on top of the complete forgiveness of all our sins that we've been singing about? 
What difference does it make for you tomorrow morning? Well, one of the things, the ways to enter into that is to look and to notice that in the second half of this text, they go through to a great length to show or to prove that he's actually dead. There's a lot of detail. There's just as much detail around the burial of Jesus as there is about his crucifixion. When you read in the different Gospels, they highlight different things to show or to prove that Jesus is dead. A spear into his side. A sudden flow of blood and water. In this text, Luke has these women following Jesus, and it says they saw how he was laid there, and they went home to prepare spices to anoint his body. You don't anoint things in the ancient Near East that are alive. The reason that they anointed was to cover up stench, because the body would decay and decompose. In the first couple of days, it would be stinky. Remember when in the Gospel of John chapter 11, when uh, Jesus shows up to raise Lazarus from the dead, four days after he's died, they say, that Jesus says, roll away the stone, and the, the, the stone from the tomb. And Martha says, but Lord, he stinketh. You anoint to get rid of the stink. Even the disciples didn't expect Jesus to be raised from the dead. He had told them they didn't hear it. They heard it, but didn't hear it. And so what Luke wants us to see is that he's dead. He's dead, fully dead, with nobody expecting him to rise from the dead. Now, why is that important? Romans chapter 6, verse 3. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. I want to use an image. We've got this really nice baptismal tank up here. If you don't know, it's buried underneath the stage. And when somebody comes to be baptized, Uh, I stand in the water down there and I say to them, come down into the death of Jesus Christ. There's this descending down these stairs because when you're baptized, you die with Jesus Christ. There's a death that happens. We've we've talked a little bit over the last few years about how God is moving us to grow prayer ministry in this place. Prayer ministry is a place where um, people are trained to pray with you, uh, to bring, come together with a person in the presence of God and spend an hour or hour and a half or two hours together uh, facilitating the Lord, bringing his love, his truth, his healing to our hearts and our lives. And one of the things that we find is really common um, for ourselves as leaders, but for everyone that we pray for in prayer ministry is that we really, we really struggle to love ourselves. Most of us, when our guard is down, when we're honest, we struggle with shame. We struggle with low sense of self-worth. We struggle with not liking ourselves a whole lot. And 
we we don't talk about that. We we um, we put on a strong front because you've got to be okay or good, and, but but we don't have a high opinion of ourselves. And one of the reasons that we struggle to love ourselves is that we're really regularly making value judgments about ourselves. We we look at the things that we do, that um, the mistakes that we make, and um, maybe it's mistakes in parenting. Maybe it's maybe it's mistakes in our marriage. Maybe it's in friendships. Maybe relationships. Whatever it is, um, we know what's wrong in our lives. We know what's not good. What's not right. We we don't need to be reminded of everything that's off. And um, we sit in judgment on ourselves. We do. We don't do it consciously. We just notice things about ourselves that aren't good and right. And uh, and we don't like them. We don't like ourselves. And so for some of us, that um, turns into depression because we got anger with ourselves and we just kind of push it down and we don't deal with it. Okay? Some of us have a lot of anger with other people. Some of us have a lot of anger, unresolved anger with ourselves. Now, why am I talking about love for ourselves connected to this idea of being buried with Jesus Christ in baptism? Being buried with Jesus means my whole separate from God life is dead. So everything, what that means in practical language is everything about me that isn't pleasing to not just me, but to God, it's dead. It's dead. It's dead. And you say, but it doesn't feel dead when I wake up on Monday morning and I see things in my heart or in my life. Okay. If you start with your experience as truth, then that experience gets cyclically projected back onto you and lived out. If you start with what God says about you, that gets cyclically projected forward, if you're pictorial, and defines who you are and who you're becoming. God says that he has forever made holy by one sacrifice, Hebrews 10:14. He has forever made holy or made perfect those who are being made holy. We talked a couple months ago about holiness as a, a gift that's given to us that we then unwrap. Remember that sermon? God hands us this package. What does that mean practically? Holiness is purity. It's perfection, but it's purity. God looks at us as pure. So we see the things in ourselves that we don't love and don't like, and and we sit in judgment on ourselves, and actually oftentimes we have a hard time taking those things to God and even talking to him about them because we're ashamed of them. We're ashamed of them. But shame dies. Shame's a part of our old, apart-from-God life. Shame is nailed to the cross. It's different than guilt. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. Shame dies with Jesus. It's a part of that old, apart-from-God life. When Jesus comes and unites himself to you, there's no more shame. He grants you his purity. 
the Father's pleasure in Jesus, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, becomes the benediction over your life. You are my treasured possession. Who wakes up Monday morning feeling like a treasured possession? If you're honest. It's not because we aren't. It's because we're living from our definitions of ourselves. We're not living out of the death of Jesus Christ. In that death, everything about our old, apart from God life, dies. We get a new life, and Pastor Gene is going to talk about it next week in the resurrection. But you've got to hear everything, bar none. When Jesus spoke from the cross in another gospel, his final words were, It is finished! All the work of God on our behalf finished. What that means for us is no more striving. No more trying so hard to be good enough. Everything we do is a response to grace. We're not trying to prove anything to anyone. We're not trying to be good enough. We are resting. We're resting. In grace. Because everything that wasn't pleasing about us died. So, my old, apart from God life, died. It's buried with Jesus. I got to sneak ahead a little bit. I'm not going to jump into the resurrection. But we all know the end of the story. We know that he doesn't stay dead. And we know, we know that um, after his death, he says to his disciples, receive, he says these words, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. Whoosh, and they receive the Holy Spirit. I want to talk a little bit about that Holy Spirit that we receive because there's this incredible thing that happens in the text this morning. Jesus says these words, Father, so he's, he's been hanging. Just Let me just remind us. He's torn open. He's bruised and bloody and marred beyond recognition, says Isaiah 53. He has been scoffed at, mocked, and hung in the darkness for three hours. And these are his words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those words come from Psalm 31. And Psalm 31 is a declaration of trust in God amidst horrible circumstances. What Jesus is saying is, Father, I still trust you. In this, after all this, I still trust you. I commit my spirit, my life to you. And then the NIV that I read says, and he breathed his last. That's a bad translation. The literal translation of those words is, and he breathed out his spirit. The King James, if any of you remember, would say, he gave up his ghost. He breathed out his spirit. And I want to tell you, there's something incredible about those words and the fact that Jesus voluntarily breathed out his spirit. But before I do that, I've got to give a quick synopsis or lesson on what is spirit. Because we don't talk about this a whole lot. We as human beings created in God's image, our body, 
We are soul and we are spirit. What is the difference between them? Well, we all know body. It's 80% water. We can see in it. We live in it. We use it. But our body's not us because when someone's dead and they're lying in a coffin, you can tell something's gone. And that something is the person. So what then is spirit and what is soul? Well, here's the easy way for me to remember this. I say, I am a spirit who has a soul and who's in a body. I am a spirit created in the image of God who scripture says is spirit. He's a spirit being. I'm a spirit who has a soul. What's a soul? My mind, my emotions, and my will. Your soul is your conscious and subconscious life. So I have thoughts, but I am not my thoughts. I have them, but I'm not them. I have emotions, but I am not the sum total of all my emotions. You can't look at, if you could open me up and see all my emotions, you could like add up this amount of anger and that amount of joy and this amount of that and say, no, that's Pastor Dave right there. That's sum total of all of his emotions and his thoughts. No, that's my, I have emotions and I have thoughts and I have a will. I make decisions. Okay. This is my soul. So that's why you can hear the psalmist talking, like sounds like he's talking to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits, he who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He's talking to his mind. He's taking authority over it and saying, bless God. Bless him. Talking to his heart. Who knows what his heart's experiencing, but he's talking to it. He's saying, bless God. So, I am not my soul. I am deeper than my soul. The Word of God says to Jeremiah, says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you had a body, before you had thoughts, before you had emotions, before you made a decision, before you took on any form, I knew you. Psalm 139 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. My unformed body? My body without a form. Your eyes saw me. You knew me when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. There's a me, there's a you created in the image of God, given a unique personality and gifting and wiring, whatever that package is, that's me, that's you. When Paul says, I pray that God may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, your inner man or your inner woman, he's talking about our spirit. Okay, I am a spirit created in the image of God. I have a soul and I live in a body. Now, back to the text. Jesus breathed out his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. It's really interesting that it doesn't say he died or he was killed. He, up to the very last minute, is still in charge. He is not a victim. We talked about this a month ago when he was in prayer. And he went, he was on his knees before the Father. His disciples were in that victim mentality. Remember that? 
Oh, we can't pray. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus walks steadily into what feels like hell and eventually into hell. Because he goes with the gospel to the underworld. After his death, he descended into hell. First Peter 4 tells us he preached to the souls that were in captivity. He walked into his suffering and death voluntarily. He's not a victim. Why? How can anybody do that? How can anyone walk into that kind of suffering and hurt and pain and not be thinking about themselves? Remember last week we heard all he could think about was everybody else around him. Don't, don't worry about me, he says. Worry about when God's judgment comes on. Remember that? How can you do that? When you are connected to Father God and you live in the certainty of His love and His care. When you are in intimate union with Him, loving, deep union, and nothing can break your trust, that's how you can do it. That's how you can go through all of this torture and this suffering and mocking and aloneness and hanging and say, I'd still trust you, God. I still trust you. I commit my spirit, who I am, into your hands and give up his spirit. Now, why is that good news? Come back to the beginning of the sermon. What has Jesus put in you and me? I am united. You are united with the very same person who went through that and said that. The spirit of Jesus Christ is united to us. problem for me and for much of my life and probably for many of you is that we haven't learned how to live out of deep loving union with the spirit of Jesus Christ who is in us. We've lived from our soul. Distorted thoughts about ourselves, about the world, about others, damaged emotions, But today, we hear again that we have been united. We have within us the very same spirit. The very same. Inestimable riches that can be drawn upon. So, old life, apart from God life, dead and buried, New life, united with Jesus Christ, given the Spirit who, who brings us into loving union with God the Father. And then this last, actually, I, I, I want to say that benefit this way. Jesus' experience as a child of God becomes the source of my experience as a child of God. Becomes the source. Jesus' death means the death of my old apart from God life. Jesus' experience as a child of God becomes the source. So when you think of source, just think of like, where does the water come from? It's got a source. Right? Where does my life come from? I've got a source. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, You've all been given one spirit to drink from. When you're thirsty, 
You go to the fountain. You go to the tap. When you want life on Monday morning, that's good, that's joyful, that's full of love, you go to the Spirit of Jesus Christ and of the Father who's making his home within you and me and who loves us deeply. His experience as a child of God becomes the source of my experience. And thirdly, um, third benefit, Jesus forever connects me. He forever connects me to the heart and the presence of God the Father. There's this one little line in the text that says, the temple curtain was torn in two. And that can mean absolutely nothing unless we know what was behind that curtain. You've heard me say before that as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, that there's a, there's a focus from chapter, I think, 9 to 19 on the city of Jerusalem, how Jesus is getting nearer and ever nearer, and we're journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem. We said that God's dealings with the whole earth were first focused in on Israel, and at the center of the people of God was the temple of God, and at the center of the temple of God was the presence of God. The presence of God. Three courts in that temple, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. The Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people can go in the outer court. Jews that are clean, uh, purified, can go in the inner court, ritually clean. And into the holy of holies goes nobody except the high priest one time per year to make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And even then, he would go in with a rope tied around his ankle in case he went in inappropriately and was killed. Not because God wanted to kill him, but because God's pure, holy, loving presence can't deal with sin. So there's this forever disconnectedness that's played out on a hill, on a city on a hill, in a temple, in front of the world, is the sign disconnectedness nobody can get that close until jesus who goes in to the presence of god the father and as that sacrificial lamb of god is offered up and he's offered up once for all time says hebrews there's no more sacrifices needed his is perfect it's perfectly offered and the temple curtain is torn because he's gone into the presence and he stays in the presence and oh yeah I'm united to him you're united to him he takes us with him he takes us with him where has he gone what's in that presence When Jesus left his disciples in John 14, he said, I'm going to make a place for you. They said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you came from. Where did he come from? John 1, 18. This is what it says. No one has seen the Father except the only begotten Son who came from the Father's, and this is literally translated, from the Father's bosom has made him known. Bosom, in case you don't know, is another way of saying breast, but it's a reference not to the physical breast, but to the heart. So John 1 says Jesus came from the Father's heart to make him known. 
to make the Father's heart known to us. And he's gone back to the Father's heart. That's where he dwells, in the Father's heart. The Father and I are one, and he takes us with him. Now, when you wake up on Monday morning, do you wake up? I am at home in the Father's heart. I'm at home in the Father's heart. I can rest. I'm at peace. I have joy. No matter what happens, I love myself, and therefore I'm able to love other people and to love God. If you're hearing me describe the fruit or the effects of what Jesus' death has purchased for us, and you're saying, that's not really my experience. I don't, I don't experience uh, this sense that my old apart from God life is dead or that, that Jesus' experience as a child of God has become my experience or that I'm forever connected to the heart and the presence of God. I want to encourage you this morning to not start with your experience, but to start with what Scripture says Jesus has won for us and who Jesus is. And just to begin to pray, Lord, draw me. Draw me deeper into the Father's heart, into his love. Draw me deeper into the experience of your presence with me in my life. There's a, there's a continual steady flow of love that never changes. That comes from the heart and the throne and the presence of God and it's available to every child of God. It's us who needs to come into that flow or that river of God's love. And the Lord wants to take us there. But for some of us, we are battling against 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or a whole lifetime of living out of our thoughts and our damaged emotions that really make us feel like we're worthless. We're, we're never going to feel like we can love ourselves. We're never going to stop being angry with ourselves. We're never going to stop feeling this tinge of shame. We're, we're never going to... And, and the Lord just wants to say this morning, that's not true. I just want to speak over you that it's not true. What's true is what Jesus has purchased for us. What's true is Jesus, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. He makes a way to the Father. And that way is one that he wants, he's ever inviting us to come more deeply into. And so I know that some of you are sitting here this morning going, man, that sounds too good to be true. Some of you have maybe walked with the Lord a short time and you're serving him a lot. Some of you have walked with the Lord a long time, but some of you, you know, you look at this, this picture of deep abiding union with Jesus Christ and it just feels like, man, I wish I could have that. The Lord says, that's what I died for. I died so you could have that. Keep coming toward me. Remain in me, he says to John 15. And when my words remain in you, they'll bear much fruit. And this is the kind of fruit that they'll bear. You will know yourselves to be. You will live as dearly loved children on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday and on and on. And you will glow even as Jesus on a cross 
is able to be full of life because of the Father's love. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to sing and just praise the Lord. Jesus paid it all. Lord, we just need to acknowledge before you this morning that um, it's so easy for us to slip back into old ways of thinking and being and doing and trying to um, be good enough, trying to be pleasing enough, trying to be something that you've already earned for us. Lord, we thank you that the things that we look on in our lives that aren't good and aren't holy, that aren't yet made perfect uh, by you, by the work of your Spirit, that you don't beat us up. You don't condemn. Lord, you're, you're continually drawing us deeper. Lord, we thank you that the the basis of our experience is your experience, Jesus. And we pray that you'll draw everyone in this room, every single person present, and those that we're related to, that we we witness to, those family members of ours. Lord, draw draw us all into the fullness of what you purchased for us with your life, Jesus. We just worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you that you paid it all.